Good morning. Our second Bible reading for today is from Matthew, chapter 27, verses 57, and through to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 15. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, it may be good for the sermon. So in most pew Bibles, it should be page 1043. Matthew, chapter 27, starting at verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Praise God for his word. Thank you, uh, Crystal, for reading God's word for us this morning. It's uh, 
It's a wonderful passage on this Easter Sunday for us to reflect upon what Christ has come uh, to do and has done uh, for us indeed. Well, before we look at this word, let's uh, come to God in prayer again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. Uh, Father, we pray you give us understanding of this word. Help us to uh, apply it in our lives and to rejoice in Jesus as the living Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, the story is told about an atheist who was very upset because of all the holidays that people of faith celebrated. He was really mad. And he said to a friend, You Christians have Christmas and Easter, and Jews celebrate holidays like the Passover and Yom Kippur. But we atheists don't have recognized holidays. That's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Christians celebrate Christmas, we have Easter, we have the long weekend. I mean, some of you, some of you have four days of holidays. John and myself will be taking two extra days off next week in lieu of Friday and Monday. All right, so don't call us on Tuesday and Wednesday. The long weekend means nothing for us guys. Anyway, we have the Passover and Yom Kippur and everything else in the 80s. They don't have any holidays. It's unfair discrimination, he said. Well, his friends thought for a moment about it and said, Well, you know something? You atheists could celebrate April 1st. <laughs> his friend thought about it for a moment and said, Oh, that's interesting. That could be your holiday, he said. You know, it's April Fool's Day. <laughs> it fits because the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Well, today is the 1st of April, April Fool's Day. I tried a joke at home this morning. I said that the entire Australian cricket team has walked out from South Africa, and there was massive discussion at home about it with the family. And then I said to them, it's April Fool's Day. <laughs> you know, friends, for us today, it's not a fool's day when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus. It's no April Fool's joke. What we are celebrating today is the most significant, most important, and the most amazing miracle in the history of the world. The fool may say in his heart, there is no God. But for us who believe, indeed, there is the living Savior. It is no fool's joke for us. And so today, as we look at this passage that's before us this morning, if I was to give you a brief outline on this text, it will be in this, in this order. We see the burial, we see the request, uh, we see the appearance, and we see the lie. There are four things, the burial, the request, the appearance, and the lie. Well, let's have a look at the burial. Have a look at your Bibles, please, in 57 to 61. So when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. And you can see it in the passage here. All right, I won't read it to you this morning. You can already read it. So 57 to 61. The burial, friends, is the last rite of a deceased person. 
As a minister, I have done many funerals along the way. In fact, I got two folders in my filing cabinet of all the funeral orders of service that I've done throughout my ministry. And from time to time, I would look at that, that, that file and reflect back on the lives of these many loved ones. As a pastor, it's a very hard thing when you come to the burial. It is, for me, one of the most emotionally challenging moments and experience when the signal is given to lower the coffin. It is a tender and personal moment of grief for the family. It is a tender and personal moment of grief for the loved ones who are left behind. And some of you have lost your loved ones and you know the sadness that comes with it. It is a moment to say goodbye to a loved one who has lived and shared our lives and your lives as a family member or a friend. It is a hard moment. And in our passage, we have the account of the burial of Jesus. The moment had arrived for this crucified Savior. This Savior was hung on the cross, was beyond human recognition to be buried. The moment had arrived. Who would bury Jesus? Were there costs involved in the burial of Jesus? You know, it is not cheap to die these days. Really, it is not cheap. Funeral costs are quite substantial, is it not? We have this funny scheme, don't we? Pay now, die later. Really. Right? And the unfortunate thing is, we can't see the investment of our money. Because we don't live to see it. Pay now, die later. With their cost involved. And so now we're introduced to a man unheard of before, who is called Joseph. And is Joseph of Arimathea. He's called Joseph of Arimathea because he came from the Judean town of Arimathea. Now, who is Joseph? He is not one of the 11 disciples. His account is found in each of the four Gospels. He was a prominent man. He was a well-respected man. Joseph was a leader of Israel. He was a secret follower of Jesus. And from nowhere... Joseph of Arimathea appears at this moment for the burial of Jesus. In the other gospel, you could see that Nicodemus is also mentioned. But for our text here this morning, focus on Joseph. Joseph's name is written in Scripture. Isn't that amazing? His name is written here. Joseph is a brave man, for he came to Pilate to get permission to take the body of Jesus. That's a pretty daring thing to do. What would happen to Joseph? How would Pilate treat him? Would he be killed? But he goes to Pilate, the governor, and we read, and he said, Pilate, I want the body of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Now, the other question we might ask this morning is this. Where are the disciples? Where are the 11 disciples? What has happened to these guys? Why couldn't one of them come and bury their master? Was this part of God's plan for them not to be involved in the burial of Jesus? Was it his plan? What's going on here in our passage, I think, is quite fascinating. It's quite interesting. So 
Follow with me, please. Verse 59. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary was there sitting opposite the, the tomb. Now, Matthew is a very keen historian and is precise in his details. And if you study the Gospel of Matthew, he often connects the Gospel of Matthew, his writing, to the Old Testament. That's one of the, one of the things that stands out in the Gospel of Matthew. So Matthew is very keen to tell us here that this tomb was Joseph's own family tomb. And it was new, and that, that behind all of this, I think what Matthew is trying to bring about here and to impress upon us and to tell us is that what was taking place was God sovereignly working out his purposes. And unknown to Joseph, in his choice to put Jesus in, his, in Joseph's tomb, he was fulfilling, I believe, a prophecy. Why do I say that? You see, Isaiah's prophecy spoken hundreds of years before Jesus' death is now being fulfilled. And we read this, Isaiah 53, 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Incredible, isn't it? Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. The tomb, we're told, is new. And the burial is taking place according to God's own plan and purposes. And so now Jesus, in his death, was being buried by a rich man and is allotted a portion with the great. And that is what's taking place here. And Joseph, the secret disciple of Jesus, is involved in this burial. And so Joseph took the body and wrapped it, and so we see that. What we see here, friends, is the devotion of Joseph. Don't we? Jesus is dead. He's not going to get anything back from Jesus, perhaps. And yet this man, this disciple of Jesus, this secret follower of Jesus, he shows his devotion to Jesus at this very moment in the burial of the Savior. And we read in our passage that Mary Magdalene and Mary was sitting opposite the tomb. The two Marys knew exactly where Jesus was buried. Uh, I was talking to Rose this morning about this passage. We discussed this, and I said to her, where are the men? <laughs> where are the men? They're not to be seen. The blokes are hiding somewhere, when they should be there. But the women, hey, what would be blokes do without our Wives, and if you're not married, if you get a wife, you'll, rem you'll know that. <laughs> what will we do without the women? These women are brave. These women are bold. These women are standing there, and they, and they are there. They are, they're, they're following Christ every step of the way. What a remarkable devotion we have here. Joseph of Arimathea, from nowhere comes in, a secret follower of Jesus. He buries Christ. And the women, they are there all the way. How wonderful is that? 
And so what we see here, friends, this morning is that Joseph of Arimathea and the two Marys knew where Jesus was buried. And so we have evidence, clear evidence, that Jesus was buried, that he was truly dead. Truly, truly dead. Now let me tell you this, friends. I've been having some incredible encounters with people. I wonder what God is trying to teach me. I told you a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching on Colossians, I went out for lunch with a couple of blokes, and the next bloke was sitting next to me, unknown to me, was a Jew, and we started talking about the Bible and God and Christ and everything, and he said to me, I was preaching on Colossians, remember that, about Jews and Gentiles? And then suddenly he said, I'm a Jew. What's going on here? This morning, I met another bloke, an older man that I've been trying to talk to about the gospel. So I said to him, how is your Easter? And he said, my Easter is next week. I said, okay, that's good. What do you believe about Easter? He said, you know, I don't think Jesus actually died. I said, okay. Uh, the Jews killed him, all right, but he was unconscious for a few days. And then he came back to life. How do I respond to that? And then I said to him, you know that Jesus is God and came from heaven. Well, Chris, where is heaven? Have you been there? This is in the park. Great morning conversation, right? And so we had this ongoing conversation. You see, friends, we see that Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He died. He was not at some unconscious state that he was pulled out from the cross and kept there for a few days, unconscious, and suddenly, lo and behold, he comes back to life. That's, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a false theory. Somebody cannot remain unconscious for days. This, it can, but here he really died. It was a proven fact. He was buried, the scriptures tell us. Now, have a look with me, please, the next section here. This, it is so important to remember that Jesus died in the light of what's going on here in this passage, all right? So Matthew is keen to tell us about the burial. Now, how did the chief priest deal with the death and burial of Jesus? Have a look at verses 62 to 66 in your Bibles. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone with the, and setting a guard. You see, the chief priests and the Pharisees they were trying to work out a plan. The two never got on together well, friends. The, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they never saw eye to eye on things. But on this one thing, they came together. How's that? The plan, the plot, the deceit, the request that has been made. And look what they say. They had heard that Jesus had predicted that he would rise. All right? This is a very interesting section here. The Jewish leaders were a deceitful bunch. They wanted to make absolutely certain that the prophecy of Jesus was not going to take place. 
Can you see what is going on here in this text? If you look at Matthew chapter 26, go back a couple of chapters, Jesus said, and, and, and they said, this is what they said about Jesus, right? This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And you go back in Matthew, Jesus gives them the sign of Jonah. These guys knew what was going on. The disciples did not understand it. But the, the, the Pharisees, they understood it. The, the, the scribes, they understood what Jesus was saying. They maintained clearly that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Obviously, at that time, when Jesus spoke of the temple being destroyed and built in three days, they knew that it was referring to his death and resurrection. They understood exactly what Jesus meant. And so now they come up with a plan and request to Pilate. In a weird way, they are attesting to the resurrection of Jesus. Pilate said to them, go and secure the tomb. And that's what happened. They put guards, Roman guards, standing at the entrance to the tomb, secured, so that the body of Jesus is now in the tomb, and no one can steal it. Imagine trying to steal the body of Jesus from the Roman soldiers. What would have happened to them? How would they have been treated? Do you think they have come out alive? No way. No way. And then, let's move on, 28, 1 to 10. Have a look at your, your section in your Bibles. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. You know what a beautiful morning today was, right? If you got up early morning, what a beautiful morning. It reminded me of what a morning must have been like on that first morning of the resurrection. The rising of the sun, the beautiful freshness of the day. And Mary, the two Marys going there to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake and an angel of the Lord appeared, descended from heaven and came and rolled the back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards, <laughs> this is incredible. What's happened to the guards here? These are Roman guards. They are macho men, right? They are the guys with the big muscles like me. No. <laughs> Strong blokes, real blokes, standing there, guarding. <laughs> the women are there. What happens to these blokes? Look at them. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. I, I, I would have loved to have been there, wouldn't you? To see the scene. They felt like dead men. And so early on that Sunday morning, Mary, Mary Magdalene and Mary made their way to the tomb. The Gospel of Mark tells us that they were going to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. And Matthew just tells us that they were coming to see the tomb. And the two Marys had two encounters. Two encounters here. One, they encountered an angel. Have a look here. See, just as angels announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds in the fields, remember that? Christmas time? It will come soon, friends. We are already in April. It'll come soon. All right? Just as angels announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds in the fields around Bethlehem, God sent an angel to announce the resurrection. When the women arrived, the angel of the Lord was sitting on the huge stone. 
And he made an important announcement. It must have been an incredible sight for this woman. We see a dazzling, luminescent angel sitting on the stone. And but the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Incredible words here now. He is not here. The memory text, right? For this month. Matthew 28, 6. He is not here. Why? Why? He has risen. That's the point. That's the gospel. The most incredible words here. Seven or eight words that rock the world. That sets Christ apart from every other religious leader. Every other human being ever lived. He is not here He has risen. What a glorious Savior. Does it excite you this morning? Excite probably not the right word. Does it encourage your heart this morning? Are you uh, wanting to kind of jump up from your seat and say, Hallelujah? Are you wanting to say, Amen? My Savior is alive. What a wonderful, incredible blessing that is. Last night I watched a, a, a program, a, a kind of snippet of it. And there was this massive, I respect all faiths and so forth, it's fine, there was a massive Buddha statue made of gold. And people were coming and putting little pieces of gold on this statue. You can never touch the face of this golden statue. Statue. And there was one guy, I think it was an Aussie guy, he was in full you know, pants and everything, and he was standing and putting the gold on the statue. And some guy came and said to him, Sit down, kneel. At that moment, I thought about myself. I'd been there, not at that particular temple. I had done that. I had kissed the statues, numerous ones. And this message of Jesus rising from the dead was the most remarkable message for me. To know that Christ is the living Savior. And what a wonderful blessing that is. And then, look at what they say. The angel says, come and see. Matthew is very keen to give us the details. The angel sat on it. The stone was rolled away. Now, was, was, it to, was the stone rolled away to let Jesus out? What do you think? Yeah? Yes. All right, there you go. We are interaction this morning. <laughs> okay, so roll the way to see that the stone, that, that so Jesus was written. It wasn't rolled so that Jesus could come out. No, 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 no. He could have pushed the stone himself. It was rolled away so that the angel said, Come and see. Come and see for yourselves. He is not here. Come into the tomb. So for us this morning, let us come into the tomb, as it were, so to speak, and see for ourselves that he is not in, through the eyes of faith. And now, friends, then go quickly, verses 7 and 8. I won't touch too much on that. Go and tell the brothers, and Jesus later on in Matthew chapter 28, you'll see that he meets them. 
And now the moment had come, the second encounter. And then we see the most amazing moment here in this chapter. I believe that Matthew has brought us somehow in his details that is given to us, and he has brought us to the apex of the section here. And the apex is this, verses 9 and 10. Have a look, please. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. You see, Jesus met them and said greetings. The Greek, the original word there is the word uh, which means rejoice. That's the word. All right. Be glad. It's not just a greeting, but be glad. Rejoice. Why? Why rejoice? Because I am alive. What a glorious message that is, isn't it? In the midst of all our suffering, in the midst of all the pain, in the midst of all the agonies and trials and testings and the burdens that we bear in our lives. These are wonderful words of Christ. Rejoice. I am alive. See, dear friends, what, a res- what, what was the response of these women? They came up and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. The original word means to fall down. You see, they didn't just stand up and worship. They fell down and worshipped him. And they held his feet. You see, remember when Jesus was born? The wise men worshipped him. Right? Here, the women worship him. And later in chapter, in this chapter, the 11 disciples worshipped him. And then in heaven, we read in Revelation 5, the angels worship him. And one day, we will see him and we will worship him. And today, we worship him by faith. Who are you worshipping this morning? Who are you worshipping? Think about it, friends. I was reading an article about our worship services and songs and everything else. All great things. Do we worship all of those things? Everything that goes on apart from Christ? Who are we worshipping this morning? Think about that. They held his feet. Now it tells us something more. Matthew is giving us further details here. They held his feet. That means he's not a ghost. Can you hold a spirit? Have you ever tried? (laughs) Have you ever seen a ghost? Try holding a ghost feet? No, no, this is a physical bodily resurrection, not just a spiritual resurrection. He has risen bodily. One of the most striking historical facts is that the enemies of Jesus and of Christianity in those first days and weeks and months in Jerusalem could not produce the body of Jesus. If they could have produced the body of Jesus, then everything would have been a fiction. They could not produce. The fact is that there was no body because Jesus was raised from the dead. Charles Spurgeon said this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is one of the best attested facts on record. There were so many witnesses to behold it. And if we do it, 
do in the least degree receive the credibility of men's testimonies, we cannot and we dare not doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. And so the Bible tells us that because he was raised from the dead, we who trust in him need not fear death. Need not fear death. Why? Why? Let me go back. 1 Corinthians 15. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Christ has emerged triumphant over death. He conquered the grave. To the Christian, death is not the end. It's a journey into the presence of Christ. Why? Because he has conquered the grave. You see, death, one day we will die. I don't know how many people are going to be around you. If there are a thousand people around us, it doesn't matter. We have to face death alone, right? It's a lone thing. But when you know Jesus, you're not alone. Because he has conquered it. So let's move on. As we see here then, uh, the, the lie. Have a look at, as we bring this message to a close. Okay, 28, 11 to 15. While, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city. Now these, these guards who were there told the chief priest all that had taken place. I wonder what the chief priest would have thought when they heard this. What an irony. The guards had been placed to guard the tomb so that there can be no false report of any resurrection. They were placed at the tomb to make certain that no one stole the body of Jesus. But it didn't work. And so while they were going, verse 11, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that has happened. And when they, verse 12, chapter 28, had assembled with the elders. So this is an elders meeting, all right? They're having a planning meeting. What's the plan? The plan is, what's the, what's the strategy? And then we see it. They paid the guards money and said, well, tell them that the disciples came by night and stole the body. And that lie goes on. And if Pilate says something, don't worry, we'll look after you. What a lie. It would have been the funniest thing, I think, to have seen their facial expressions when the guards came and told them what happened. The guards were bribed. You see, friends, our Savior, Jesus, has been raised. The disciples did not steal the body. God, as the last word, his son was raised from the dead and no human power could have stopped the resurrection of Jesus. So as we conclude this morning, throughout history, the opponents of, the, of Christianity have targeted the resurrection and they try to discredit and destroy the gospel, but they have failed. The resurrection of Jesus is the most extraordinary and amazing event in the history of the world, and it is the guarantee of hope for each and every one who put our faith in Christ. Recently, I was watching a conversational news program on TV between two well-known TV presenters. And with all that was going on with the cricket and what's going on in, with our politicians and our institutions, they were asking each other a very important question. And the question was this, who can we trust? 
Who can we trust? I'm sitting with Rose and said, Whoa, that's a good question. Maybe I should respond. Send an email to these presenters and say, Yes, you can't trust anyone in this world, but there is one person we can trust. Can't we? Who can you trust? You can't trust our politicians. You can't trust us guys as ministers. You can't trust the elders. I'm not saying that you can't trust them. You know what I mean, right? Or me or anything. We we are not the infallible guys here, right? You can't trust the church. Ultimately, yes, of course, at the human level, there's trust involved. But ultimately, who do we trust? Ultimately, we trust in Christ. And what we see here, it's such a good question that deserves a clear answer. You see, we have an answer to that question, don't we? We can trust in Jesus because he is true. There were eyewitnesses who saw his crucifixion, who saw his glorious resurrection from the dead. He appeared to over 500 people after he had risen from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. The disciples saw that. And the Bible tells us he's coming back one day. And so I can trust him implicitly. You can trust him implicitly. So this morning I say to you, put your hand in faith and hold the hand of Jesus. The shepherd. The good shepherd. The conquering king. And you put your faith and trust in him. And let him lead you. Let Jesus be the savior. Let Jesus lead your life. Let Jesus be the one that you will trust and I will trust always. Because he has done everything for you. He has loved you with an everlasting love. He gave his life for you at the cross. He was raised from the dead. And he says, come child, trust me. Will you? Will you this morning? See, he is the son of God. He's the one who died on the cross for our sins. He's the one who reconciles us to God. He's the one who cares for us as the living shepherd. He's the one who has promised us heaven. He is the risen king. And this resurrection is no April Fool's joke. The fool says in his heart there is no God. To others we might look as fools. The gospel, Paul says that the preaching of Christ is foolishness for some. But to us who have been saved, it's the power of God. Would you want to be a fool or rather follow Christ? This morning, who are you trusting today? I trust that it is Jesus, the amazing Savior, our risen Lord. What a glorious, mighty Savior Christ is. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that our Savior Jesus is alive. That today we worship you in faith, in confidence, trust in your word. Trust in you. Trust in you, Lord, to return one day as you have promised. And to establish the new heavens and the new earth. Thank you that in Christ we have abundant life. The life of peace and joy in Jesus. The life of reconciliation with God. The life of forgiveness so that we can forgive others. A life of love because your love is poured into our hearts. I pray this morning that your blessing will be upon us as your people, Lord. That we will live confidently in Christ, rejoicing that Jesus is our Savior. 
Amén.